Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, there is so much going on here at Bedtime Stories HQ. It's been a huge week. Uh, so I'm recording this on the weekend, Sunday, um, before it goes out on the Wednesday. So this last week, I've been up in Brisbane and I've had a fantastic time. It's very exciting to, time to be up in the city because the World Cup's been playing up there, the, the Women's Soccer World Cup and stuff. And uh, by the time this goes to air, I will be in Melbourne. I'm spending the week in Melbourne visiting schools again for Book Week. Uh, as you can see, I still, well, as you can hear, I still have a voice, which is fantastic. I'm very pleased that I've managed to um, look after myself and keep my voice in there because I've been doing so many presentations and telling so many stories, um, often in very strange circumstances. I did a school on Friday where uh, the presentation was to 300 kids and it was outdoors. Uh, uh, there were like roads nearby. And in addition to that, there was like construction taking place next door all the way through the presentation. And then somebody even started playing basketball, all of which is, is a very loud noises. But it was an interesting challenge and I enjoyed it enormously. Um, anyway, I totally digress. Uh, what I need to talk about is I had a bit of a, I don't know, a, a delusion of grandeur or something this week. Because I'm looking at my schedule. I tend not to think about my schedule until like things are coming up because there's just so much going on. If I think about the whole thing all the time, my head would explode. So anyway, it occurred to me that I'm going to New Zealand in October and uh, I'm going to Queenstown, which is one city that's right down the south of the South Island. And uh, it did occur to me that if I go to New Zealand and I only go to Queenstown, uh, the rest of my New Zealand fans will get very upset because the vast majority of the population does not live in Queenstown. Auckland is the biggest city in um, New Zealand. So I thought, gosh, if I'm all the way over there, how about I get myself a flight from Queenstown to Auckland, spend two nights in Auckland and put on a show in Auckland for like, I'll do the bedtime stories live show there. So just this last week, I thought, oh, I'll see if that's possible. And it turns out it is. I managed to book a theater. Uh, get graphics done and get the whole thing on sale. So tickets are now on sale for my show in Auckland. Uh, it would be good if I knew the date off the top of my head and I don't. It's the second. It's the second of November at 6 p.m. at the Pump House Theatre in Auckland. And I am doing a public event in Queenstown at the library. Uh, for the full details, if you go to my website, the details will be there, rasprat.com. Uh, I think it's on the Monday or the Tuesday afternoon at 4.30. I'm doing a public thing at the, I want to say Frankton Library. Okay, so that's all coming up. And uh, yeah, so if you are in Auckland or anywhere near Auckland, please do buy tickets because it's kind of, it feels delusional to be booking a theatre in a foreign country and and expecting people to turn up, but hopefully do people, people do turn up. It'll be good. I'll do the podcast show, do a live record and I'll sing a song and it'll be a lot of fun. All right. So that's what I've done this week. It's been a bit epic, but 
Okay, so the Pesky Kids have finished. Um, I'm sure you'll miss them already. Uh, I, I know I do. I really enjoyed reading them to you. But now let's get into something else. Uh, I promised I'd start writing fresh stories, but because I've been on tour, I haven't had time. So what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to read you a Nanny Piggins story, one from the eighth book in the series, Nanny Piggins, The Race to Power. Um, and I'm going to read you chapter four, and it's called Boris and the Big Snore. All right, here we go. Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children had enjoyed a busy morning. They'd been paying a visit to the local fire station so that Boris could get his monthly shower. When you're a ten-foot-tall bear with a serious honey habit, your fur does tend to become extremely matted. And Boris was too tall to fit in a regular shower cubicle, so when he needed a wash, Nanny Piggins took her brother to the fire station to be blasted with their giant hoses. It was very beneficial for the firemen as well, because Boris would run around screaming, Oh, oh, ah, ah, it tickles, oh, stop it, oh, no, more, that's the spot, oh, again, again, which was an excellent training exercise for them, because it was just like having to put out a spreading bushfire. But this was not the exhausting part of their morning. The exhausting part came after Nanny Piggins noticed that the firemen were throwing out their old pole the one they used to get from the dormitory upstairs to the fire truck downstairs in super quick time. The occupational health and safety officer had made them get rid of it because it was too likely to cause sprained ankles, completely ignoring the fact that sliding down a pole in the middle of the night with a siren blaring is so much fun, it's totally worth any ankle injury. Seeing the long brass pole lying there in the driveway, Nanny Piggins immediately knew she had to take it home. She was not quite sure what she would use it for, but she knew anything that long and fun to slide down had a lot of potential. Normally, Nanny Piggins would have gone home, sat at the kitchen table and eaten cake as she contemplated the possibilities. But on this occasion, it only took thinking of cake for Nanny Piggins to have a brilliant idea. I could run the pole from my bedroom down to the kitchen, exclaimed Nanny Piggins. That way, if I fancy a slice of cake in the middle of the night, there'll be no need to waste valuable time on opening the door or walking down the stairs in my hurry to get to it. So the next hour or two was spent chainsawing a hole in Nanny Piggins' bedroom floor, followed by chainsawing another hole in Mr Green's bedroom floor when they realised he had the bedroom above the kitchen. Nanny Piggins was not disappointed to have vandalised her own floor. She was sure there were advantages to having a hole in her room. For example, with the aid of a system of mirrors, she'd be able to watch the young and the irritable on the living room television without getting out of bed. All in all, it was an action-packed morning, especially for Boris, whose job it was to stand in the kitchen, holding the pole in place, while Nanny Piggins bolted the top to Mr Green's ceiling. It's always physically tiring to hold something still for prolonged periods, but it's particularly wearisome when your overexcited sister keeps dropping her hammer onto your head from two stories up. And it isn't as though Boris could let go of the pole to rub his head, because then the pole would scoot away and Nanny Piggins would hit the floor, or even worse, the sore spot on Boris's head. So Nanny Piggins was just painting olive oil on the pole to make it extra slippery before they all had a go when disaster struck. Suddenly and unexpectedly, the entire house began to shake as a deafening rumble rattled the building from the foundations up. What's going on? wailed Samantha. It must be an earthquake, yelled Derek. Either that or someone in China has decided to dig a hole through the centre of the earth to come and visit us, suggested Nanny Piggins. Michael had a quick look out the window. 
I can't see any tunnels or tourists in the backyard. Then we'd better take emergency evasive action, decided Nanny Piggins. You mean stand in a door frame or take shelter under a desk, asked Derek. I was going to say eat a slice of cake, admitted Nanny Piggins. She'd lived her entire life in a circus, and when your home is a tent, earthquakes are of no great concern. If a large sheet of canvas or an aluminium pole falls on your head, you'd be fine. The greater concern is being a victim of cake looting during the aftermath. Once there had been a... Once there had been a cyclone that ravaged the circus, and Nanny Piggins had been so busy providing first aid to her dear friend Esmeralda the elephant, who had a speck of dust in her eye, that she had not noticed when the fat lady snuck into her tent and ate her supply of mud cake. Nanny Piggins did not hold it against Melanie. Eating is what fat ladies do, and if you're going to leave chocolate cake unguarded, that is tantamount to entrapment. At this point, the house was shaking so much that pictures started falling off the walls and furniture started vibrating away from its allocated floor space. Perhaps we'd better continue this discussion outside, suggested Derek. Good idea, said Nanny Piggins, as part of the ceiling collapsed on the floor next to her. If this is a terrible natural disaster, we could dig up the emergency cake supplies I buried in the garden. Nanny Piggins decided that the quickest and safest way to get outside was to jump out the bedroom window. But, having landed safely on the ground, she had difficulty persuading the children to follow her example. They had a much greater and more rational fear of head injuries than she did. So Nanny Piggins had to push a wheelbarrow full of nice soft lawn clippings over to the window before they could escape the still trembling house. Samantha was so relieved to be safe on the ground that she gave Nanny Piggins an enormous hug, which was a good thing because it meant she did not notice when tiles started sliding off the roof and smashing onto the ground around her. Let's dig up the cake, said Nanny Piggins excitedly. I remember I buried a particularly delicious marble cake near the maple tree. Hang on, said Michael, who was staring at the quivering house. Why is our house, the only house in the street, that's shaking? It must be an extremely localised earthquake, guessed Nanny Piggins. Perhaps it isn't an earthquake, said Derek. What are you saying, asked Nanny Piggins. Do you think your father has rented out the space under the house to an evil scientist who's perfecting a doomsday device? But then something even more serious occurred to Samantha. Where's Boris? she asked. He's usually the first person to run outside weeping when something unexpected happens, said Michael. Like being stung by a mosquito or not finding a toy in his box of honeypuff breakfast cereal. You don't think he's trapped inside under fallen debris, do you? worried Samantha. He'll be all right, Derek assured her. He's used to being under fallen debris. The roof collapses on him all the time when he goes up to adjust the television aerial, then he gets inspired by the view, forgets where he is and launches into ballet. I must go back inside and rescue him, declared Nanny Piggins. But it's not safe, said Samantha. Pish, said Nanny Piggins. If I didn't do things just because they weren't safe, I'd never get out of bed in the morning. Well, most people don't do quadruple twisting backflips to get out of bed in the morning, observed Michael. More fool them, said Nanny Piggins. It's the best way to get to the rug without standing on the cold floorboards. Here, hold my chocolate bars. I'm going in. Nanny Piggins pulled out the three dozen chocolate bars she had hidden about her person before marching purposefully towards the house. But what if the house collapses on top of you, worried Samantha. I doubt it will, said Nanny Piggins. Your father has done such a shoddy job of maintaining his property that I took it on myself to reinforce the framework by gaffer taping Mars bars to all the load-bearing beams. Why? asked Derek. Nanny Piggins paused and thought about it for a moment. I'm not sure. It seemed like a good idea at the time. But then perhaps that was because I was slightly delirious from eating so much chocolate. 
I had to test all the major chocolate bars to determine that Mars Bar's combination of caramel to nougat offered the best tensile strength to weight ratio. Nanny Piggins disappeared into the house. I hope she'll be all right, worried Samantha. I hope Boris will be all right, worried Michael. I hope Nanny Piggins accurately measured the tensile strength of Mars Bars and wasn't unconsciously swayed by their deliciousness, worried Derek. But the children's concerns were allayed when, two seconds later, Nanny Piggins popped out the back door. Good news, called Nanny Piggins. Boris is fine. And we aren't experiencing an extremely localised earthquake. Then what is it, asked Derek. Boris has fallen into one of his super deep hibernation sleeps and is snoring, explained Nanny Piggins. No way, exclaimed Michael. Come and see for yourselves, said Nanny Piggins. Blast off with Space Vacation the Musical as the Bloom family from the bright yellow planet takes a wild, weird, and wonderful intergalactic summer vacation. With original songs and stellar comedy, their trip goes delightfully haywire. Fun and adventure for all ages. Space Vacation the Musical on all podcast platforms now. Subscribe today. A few minutes later, after they had donned their bicycle helmets for protection, Nanny Piggins and the children stood around the larder in the kitchen where Boris was lying fast asleep on the floor with a smile on his face and a bucket of honey in his arms. Oh, the poor mite, said Nanny Piggins affectionately. He was obviously tuckered out by all the home improvements we made this morning. How are we going to wake him up, asked Michael. Do you want me to fetch the fire extinguisher? Or tip a huge bucket of ice over his head, asked Samantha. Or whisper something controversial about ballet in his ear, asked Derek. No, said Nanny Piggins, not this time. I know we usually wake Boris up when he falls into one of his hibernation sleeps, but on this occasion it's winter and he has been getting crotchety lately. He has, asked Samantha. Oh yes, said Nanny Piggins. Just last week I asked him to pass me the butter and he said, no, get it yourself. And the week before that he forgot to say excuse me when he sneezed on Mrs Simpson. And that's a bad sign, asked Derek. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins, when it comes from a bear with such impeccable manners as Boris. No, he hasn't had a proper hibernation for years. He needs to have a good long rest. After all, he's a growing young bear. But we can't leave him here in the house, said Derek. I don't care how many Mars bars you've strapped to the framework. If he keeps this snoring up, it's going to bring the house down. Also, I'm pretty sure this could be the turning point for father, said Michael. It's one thing not to notice a ten-foot-tall dancing bear living in your garden, but it's much harder not to notice a ten-foot-tall dancing bear who's snoring in your kitchen. We'll just have to move Boris, decided Nanny Piggins. How? asked Samantha. He weighs... Nanny Piggins clamped her trotter over Samantha's mouth. Shh! Just because he's asleep doesn't mean you can't hurt his feelings. He weighs a little more than we could easily carry, said Samantha, carefully wording the least offensive way of saying 700 kilograms. If the slaves could build the great pyramids of Egypt without cranes, bulldozers or anti-gravitational technology, said Nanny Piggins, we must be able to shift one 700 kilogram bear. Boris jerked in his sleep, muttering, big bones, not my fault. Shh, said Derek. They were all quiet for a moment while Boris resettled. So how did the slaves build the Great Pyramids, asked Michael. I'm not exactly sure, admitted Nanny Piggins. I think it involved ropes, rolling logs 
and as much hummus as they could eat. Ah! yelped Samantha as she noticed the clock. What's wrong? asked Nanny Piggins. The time, said Samantha. What's wrong with the time? asked Nanny Piggins. Do you think we should convert to a metric system? I'm not for it myself. If there are only ten hours in the day, when would I find time to eat cake? Father is due home at two o'clock, said Samantha. Why? asked Nanny Piggins. He usually never gets home before midnight if he can avoid it. A journalist from the local newspaper is meeting him here to do an interview about his mayoral campaign, said Samantha. Ugh, how typically aggravating of your father, said Nanny Piggins. I know. Let's leave Boris here to sabotage your father's interview. But that might sabotage Boris's life prospects, said Derek. What if father panics and has him shipped back to Siberia? Father panics when he sees a cockroach, said Michael. I'm pretty sure he'll panic when he sees and hears a huge snoring bear. With a very petite figure, added Michael hastily as Boris started to stir. Then we'd better get started, declared Nanny Piggins. Michael, you go out to the shed and fetch some ropes. Derek, you climb over the fence and chop down Mrs. McGill's camphor laurel tree to turn it into logs. And Samantha, run down to the deli and get a big bucket of hummus. Really, said Samantha, do you really think chickpea paste is essential? There are crazy people out there who think aliens built the pyramids, said Nanny Piggins. Is it any crazier to give the credit to hummus? Well, perhaps they didn't eat hummus back then, suggested Derek. Perhaps, apart from having prescient engineering technology, they were ahead of their time as bakers, and they fed the slaves chocolate cake. You're a genius, exclaimed Nanny Piggins. That would explain so much. For example, why the Sphinx looked so smug. Because she had just eaten a mud cake. Nanny Piggins turned to Samantha again. Go to Hans and get some cake instead. And quickly, we don't have much time. What are you going to do? asked Michael. Dress up as Cleopatra, of course, said Nanny Piggins. If we're reenacting the building techniques of ancient Egypt, it would be a terrible shame to miss the opportunity to dress up as the most glamorous pig ever in history. Cleopatra wasn't a pig, said Samantha. Piffle, exclaimed Nanny Piggins. You don't think a woman that glamorous, beautiful and politically powerful could have been a mere human, do you? When the children stopped and thought about it, it did make sense that Cleopatra was a distant relative of Nanny Piggins. Fifteen minutes later, Boris was lying on top of a dozen rolling logs, and Nanny Piggins and the children were pulling him slowly across the yard, using ropes tied around his legs. Heave! encouraged Nanny Piggins. They all heaved, and Boris edged forward another centimetre. Gosh, it's hard to move, Boris, said Michael, as he dabbed the sweat from his brow. And that just goes to show what a great ballet dancer he is, said Nanny Piggins. He moves himself about all the time, with comparatively little effort, and he makes it look so graceful. We've still got seven metres to go, said Samantha. We're moving him at a rate of about five centimetres per minute, and Father is due home soon. What's your point? asked Nanny Piggins. Maths was one of her few weaknesses. We aren't going to get him in the shed in time, said Samantha. There must be something we can do, said Nanny Piggins. If only I had a cannon handy, I could blast him in there. I know, said Michael. The shed weighs less than Boris. Why don't we pick up the shed and put it over him? Brilliant, declared Nanny Piggins. Do you think Father will notice that the shed is only half a metre from the back door, asked Samantha? I doubt it, said Nanny Piggins. He's unlikely to go outside. You know how your father claims the smell of grass gives him asthma. 
The children and Nanny Piggins soon placed the shed over the top of Boris, and it was an entirely successful method of hiding him from view. The only problem was that he could still be heard. In fact, his snores could be heard several kilometres away in neighbouring towns, and the shed was shaking with the vibrations. What are we going to do? asked Derek. We'll just have to soundproof the shed, declared Nanny Piggins. I've just stopped for a moment, listeners. I don't know if you can hear that, but I can hear this. In the far distance, on the other side of the field at the back of my house, one of my neighbours is practising the bagpipes. Oh, it's better than that. I think there's two bagpipes and some drums. Oh, listeners, I... It's just wonderful living in a small town where crazy things like this happen. It's just far enough away to be very funny. If it was closer to my house, I'd be probably a little bit delirious with anger at this moment. Anyway, they've stopped. Okay, let's keep going. What are we going to do? asked Derek. We'll just have to soundproof the shed, declared Nanny Piggins. How? asked Samantha. I know, said Michael, by blasting him into outer space. Michael had heard somewhere that in space, no one could hear you scream, so he assumed no one would be able to hear you snore either. Hmm, said Nanny Piggins. We could do that, but from what he said, using very ungentlemanly language last time we spoke on the phone, I don't think the head of NASA is prepared to lend me the space shuttle again any time soon. No, we'll just have to use egg cartons. Egg cartons, asked Samantha, suspecting her nanny was thinking of cake when she should be thinking of her brother. Yes, said Nanny Piggins, aside from protecting eggs, egg cartons have a wonderful ability to absorb sound. If you glue them to your walls, it will soundproof a room. But how many egg cartons would we need to line the walls of the shed, asked Derek. Well, the dimply half of an egg carton is 30 centimetres by 10 centimetres. That means you would need 30 to fill one square metre. And Boris's shed is 2 metres by 3 metres by 3 metres, which is a surface area of 36 metres. So that would require 1,080 egg cartons, or rather 12,960 eggs, which, given that it takes four eggs to make a good sponge cake, equals 3,240 cakes worth of eggs. Nanny Pickens was excellent at mathematics when it was applied to cake. But we don't actually have to make that many cakes, do we? asked Derek. Of course we do, said Nanny Piggins. If we're going to soundproof Boris's shed, we can't leave 12,960 eggs rolling about on the floor. Your father might not notice a 10-foot-tall bear, but he'd be sure to notice when he stood on one of the eggs and slipped over. The children imagined this scene and all secretly thought it'd be worth trying, just to see their father lying on his back covered in raw egg yolk. But where are we going to get that many eggs from, asked Samantha. I know you have friends who are chickens, but do you know any chickens who have driver's licenses so they could bring their eggs here? No need for that, said Nanny Piggins. I know where we can get a large supply of eggs super quickly. She took out the mobile phone she had borrowed from Mr Green's pocket just that morning and started dialing. I'm going to ask my friend the truck driver from the Slimbridge Cake Factory to help me out. The phone started ringing. Then they heard the truck driver answer. Hello, on the other end. Stan, darling, it's me, said Nanny Piggins. I know it's Tuesday morning and you are usually driving the factory's weekly egg supply to the plant about now. Yeah, that's right, agreed Stan. Oh, good. Then I hope you wouldn't mind terribly much if I hijack your entire truckload of eggs, asked Nanny Piggins. I promise to wear a mask and be rough with you so your bosses won't suspect a thing. 
The management at the Slimbridge Cake Factory was well aware that it was Nanny Piggins who periodically hijacked their trucks, but she was such a good customer that they were prepared to turn a blind eye to it. I don't know, said Stan. I'm only a hundred metres from the front of the factory. If you immediately make a U-turn and drive straight to our house, I'll make it worth your while, said Nanny Piggins. You will, said Stan, hopefully. Will you give me a slice of your triple chock marble cake? No, said Nanny Piggins. I'll give you an entire triple chock marble cake, too, if you get here in under three minutes. The children could hear the sound of the truck driver applying his compression brakes, skidding his truck through a 180-degree turn and working the engine up through the gears as he started speeding towards their house. Nanny Piggins snapped the mobile phone shut. Her favourite thing about borrowing Mr Green's mobile was getting to make this dramatic gesture. Excellent. Everything is going to plan, said Nanny Piggins. Now all we need to do is bake 3,240 cakes, glue the egg cartons to the shed wall, then eat all the cakes before your father comes home. And he'll never know there's a hibernating bear hidden in his garden. That sounds like a lot of work, said Derek. Ah, but that's the good thing about baking 3,240 cakes, is that if you start eating the first ones as soon as they come out of the oven, the sugary, buttery goodness will give you the energy you need to power through the rest of the job, explained Nanny Piggins. It's amazing what you can achieve with five or six hundred cakes in your stomach. That is why Henry VIII was such a successful king. All right, well, we're going to leave it there for now. That is halfway through this chapter, um, and it's already gone for 23 minutes. So we'll finish it uh, the second half next week. Well, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>